This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show here on Trek FM. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as he is always these days, is Dan Gunther. Dan, uh, how are things going for you these days? Uh, not too bad. Uh, pretty busy, and, and but keeping busy and, and generally enjoying things. Uh, tiring day today, but again, really happy to be here to talk about Deep Space Nine, my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I noted that is that is that a new recording room? I I feel like I see a bunch of like orbs behind you, and <laughs> and uh, what are you what are you doing on Bajor today? Well, you know, basically the book we're going to be talking about is kind of a season finale, and as you know, season finales are big deals, and you kind of got to go all out. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm I'm at a monastery. The 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 Vedics let me record here uh, in the room with the orbs. I was really surprised. Uh, they're very accommodating. Wow, that is really nice. Uh, well, I figured. I guess you're there because you're going to you know be asking for advice from the Order of Prophecy and Change to see what's coming next for Deep Space Nine and the and the relaunch. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've consulted the orbs about. Uh, about the upcoming books, especially, uh, they haven't been forthcoming with uh, covers, though, which is unfortunate. Uh, I was looking forward to some new Seekers art maybe this week, but no oh such yeah, luck. yeah. I you know that is something that I was really frustrated with too is that we didn't get just anything um, there for anything that's coming out. You know, we got um, we got Sacraments of Fire, and uh, you know we got that cover and. You know, just kind of waiting at this point to see, I guess, the rest of the covers that we'll be getting for the books coming out this year. And there's some great ones coming out. I mean, Seekers books, Kirsten Beyer, uh, you know, Greg Cox. So it, it's going to be a great end to the year. And uh, even through, of course, through the summer, it's going to be fantastic with some Dayton Ward and, and um, David R. George III. So, mm. man, I can't wait to see what happens. So. Definitely, yeah. No, we're all just kind of sitting on the edge of our seat waiting to see uh, what's coming next because there's some really good stuff on the horizon. Well, Dan, um, I was thinking about this, you know, since we don't have any news, um, what are some of the things that you're really looking forward to? I mean, maybe for the rest of the year, books and and comics-wise that are coming up, what are some of the things that are really just kind of standing out to you? Like, oh, I can't wait to get my mitts on that. (laughs) Well, there's always, uh, you know, always a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, Seekers, I've mentioned, uh, you know, a pretty interesting start to that series last year. I'm I'm interested to see where they go with this. And, of course, uh, the New Frontier ebooks. I'm... It's been so long since we've had new new frontier that I'm I'm really excited to see, you know what that's all about, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of one of the one of the oddball that releases this year I'm I'm kind of looking forward to is that autobiography of of James T Kirk that they're putting out that looks yeah. like it could be pretty cool. Um, I totally forgot about that coming out, but that does look pretty fun um you know i'm actually looking forward to you know comics wise i'm kind of looking forward to the green lantern crossover to oh, see what right. happens there um i just it's so off the wall that i'm i'm really excited to see that um you know i obviously i would be 
remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I'm really looking forward to Sacraments of Fire mm-hmm. to finally see some more Deep Space Nine. But as we know, it's going to be leading into that Ascendant storyline. And uh, as we're basically there almost with wrapping up Unity, there's a few more books to get through. But that's where all of a sudden it just kind of cuts off and then we pick up later off in, in the story. So I'm really looking forward to finally seeing exactly what happened. But I mean, geez, we've got a Titan novel with mm-hmm. James Swallow. Uh, we've got more Voyager with Kirsten Byer. So this is just, I mean, it's a fantastic year so far for oh, yeah. Star Trek books. Um, and not only that, but um, it's been so diverse this year, mm-hmm. which I love as well. I mean, think about that. New Frontier. Seekers, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, TOS, I mean, and we're going to get The Next Generation with Dayton Ward's Armageddon's Arrow. So mm-hmm. what a fantastic year for all representations of, of all the different series we've had. It's awesome. Definitely. Yeah, a very, very strong year in Treklet. Uh, Uncertain Logic by Christopher Bennett. Mm-hmm. I think moving that Enterprise for- story forward, just excellent. Like lots of really cool continuations into you know corners of the Star Trek universe that need to be explored. So, yeah, definitely. Well, it's going to be an exciting year uh, as we wrap up here with uh, Literary Treks, and I'm excited for all the books and comics that we've got coming out for you guys and. Most exciting that we've gotten to over 100 episodes now, and we are finally, finally this year going to wrap up the Deep Space Nine relaunch, which is really exciting to have finally gotten there. And uh, Dan and I haven't quite figured out what we're going to tackle next, but there's some great places. Um, We may try some of the smaller series that we can jump in and out of, but um, we'll let you know as soon as we know where we're going to be going next. Well, Dan, I am very excited. I remember when this book came out. In fact, nobody will be able to see this on the podcast. This is bad podcasting, but I'm holding up in front of you. I actually own the physical hardback of Star Trek Unity, and it's one of the few Star Trek books that I still own. One, because it's one of the few Deep Space Nine books in hardback. And two, this is really the wrap-up. This is like the season finale of season eight of deep space nine and um yeah i i couldn't let this one go uh and i'm glad i didn't because it was great to be actually in a physical hardback star trek book because we don't get these anymore (laughs) yeah it's really sad some of those hardcovers are really beautiful um i owned the the hardcover at one time uh and and you know i i don't tend to get rid of my Star Trek books. So it's somewhere. It's in some box somewhere, but I have no idea where, which, which you know, is really sad because, yeah, this is a beautiful novel, definitely mm-hmm. worth owning in hardcover when it first came out. And the cover art is, is just gorgeous. I love that cover. It is amazing cover art. I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the book. I know that kind of sounds silly. <laughs> But I really do um, enjoy that cover. I think it's really fantastic, and so I'm I'm just so excited that um, we you know we are finally here and we we get to talk about this book. And so wanted to just kind of remind everybody where we are. And so I was just going to read the blurb because it kind of puts us in the mindset of the book, and it's. In 2001's critically acclaimed Avatar novels, author S.D. Perry set the tone for the course for the continuation of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, a controversial television phenomenon hailed by TV Guide as the best acted, written, produced, and altogether finest incarnation of Star Trek. And I'll add, (laughs) it'll never be eclipsed. Since then, the DS9 saga has grown in complexity and momentum, acting as an ever-growing audience to novels about which one reviewer raved. In these pages, DS9 truly lives again. Now, following her triumphs with Avatar and Rising Sun, S.D. Perry returns for a landmark tale celebrating DS9's 10th anniversary year. On the eve of Bajor's formal entry into the Federation, First Minister Shakar was assassinated, derailing the induction and plunging the planet and Deep Space Nine into chaos. Investigating the murder revealed the presence of 
a parasitic conspiracy threatening not only Bajor's future with the Federation, but its very survival of both. At the same time, the fracturing of Bajor's theology has put its people on the threshold of a startling transformation, and the consequences now rest on the shoulders of Colonel Kira Norris, who months ago defied the religious authority of her planet by making public an ancient heretical text that challenged the very foundation of the Bajoran faith. Now, after a harrowing and heroic voyage of exploration in the Gamma Quadrant, the weary wounded crew of the starship defiant is at last coming home but the joy of their return is short-lived as the crew becomes swept up in the crisis aboard the station with many of them confronting personal issues that force them to make life-altering choices among those is a grief-stricken commander ellis vaughn who reaches a crossroads in his life's journey and learns the true purpose for which he was touched by the prophets as well as the ultimate fate of captain benjamin sisko and somewhere on bajor a child long awaited is about to be born <laughs> i i love that blurb because uh on my on my website i actually reviewed this novel and the way the schedule turned out, it was going to come out right around Christmas. And it actually ended up being a little later, January 3rd. But just that little tagline at the end, somewhere on Bajor, a child long awaited is about to be born. I was like, oh, some kind of cross-pollination of, of uh, season here. But anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They they do kind of make it sound like, um, you know, the the birth of, of, you know, like something like Jesus. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's a it's a really interesting thing to kind of see uh, with this book, uh, just how everything is coming together. And this is really, as we said before, it's the ending of season eight and it's the finale of all that they've kind of been working towards all at the same time while pushing a new story kind of to the forefront as well. So uh, kind of thinking back for you, Dan, what are some of the things that you noticed as reading um, Unity that were really hearkening back to, you know, where S.D. Perry started us with Avatar and then throughout the rest of this series so far? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, a lot of it is, you know, the character touchstones and and thinking like even just in these this kind of short series of novels, how far the characters have come and where they began their journey in Avatar. So, for example, we have Elias Vaughn, you know, finding the orb in the first books and getting set on this path and, you know, where he ends up now. And Ro, again, also, uh, I thought was a very important, had a very important character arc through these novels. And where she ends up in this whole story is really, really cool. And just thinking about like the tone this novel sets, the season finales of Deep Space Nine were always really good at kind of closing a chapter, but also introducing a whole new set of things going on. I think, for example, you know, Odo uh, being turned into a human by his people, you know, that was that was a big kind of chapter of his life coming to, you know, a temporary end, but an end. And then the end of that episode he's looking at the transmission from uh from gauron and he says the changelings they reveal to me gauron's a founder and you Mm -hmm. know it really sets off you know where the next chapter is going to go and i feel a lot of that in this book as well you know there's a lot of resolution a lot of uh closing of stories for these characters but also a lot of jumping off points and hints of what's to come so very uh very much following the mold of the deep space nine season finale uh, template basically <laughs> yeah it it really does um you know i was thinking back to the fact that the book the avatar series really kind of starts off with vaughn having the whole orb experience and that's really what sets him off on this path kind of brings him to deep space nine and so it was interesting to watch them kind of round out this with him having another orb experience that will bring you know cisco back into the corporeal world and um i thought that was a nice touch you know the cyclical nature of things you know um the way the story kind of recycled itself there was really interesting but i thought was was done well Two, a lot of stories kind of 
close to like uh, you know Char's storyline with his Bond mates, the fact that he's going to stay on Deep Space Nine, um, those kind of things. At least at this point of the series, too, um, Dax and Bashir kind of seem to have found some sort of equilibrium in their relationship. The O'Briens had gone back to Earth, and now they're going to Cartasia. You know, there's just a lot mm-hmm. of things. Uh, Cassidy was pregnant. Now she's had the baby. Uh, ben wasn't there, but now he's back. You know, all these things. It's like you started off in one place, and, and we've kind of given you some kind of resolution for those stories, but at the same time left it open to tell another story with the characters, as all good writers do. And I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um and then two, something that really stuck out to me this time was just having Picard give Roe the uniform because they have that conversation in Avatar. And, of course, now they, you know, have this little moment here. He's They don't even talk, but he's left the uniform there for her mm-hmm. with a little note card. Um, and I just, I, I really like those little small elements that just create that conclusion type feeling it's just really nice Mm -hmm. yeah no that was definitely a favorite moment for me i have friends that will never forgive roe for betraying picard to the maquis um in that episode but it's i i I really love her character and i really love what they've done with her in the novels even getting together with quark as weird as that is I still, I don't get that whatsoever. It yeah. doesn't, they still know. haven't sold me on that one. So I don't know. Deep down, Quark's a romantic. I kind of get it, but eh, it's still a little weird. But, you know, yeah, all it's that a little aside, weird. Yeah, it is a little weird. <laughs> all of that aside, though, I love what they've done with Ro. And uh, yeah, this little touchstone of Picard sending her the uniform just with, you know, like you said, without words, communicating so much to her that, you know, she's kind of regained his faith and trust and that she should stay with Starfleet and stay where she is and do what she's doing. I, I just, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I thought that was an amazing moment. Yeah, I, I really, really liked that. And I felt like it, it was just that small thing that, you know, that just kind of helped you, you know, see the characters grow or, you know, the fact that, uh, Kira is back in the Starfleet uniform by the end was nice mm-hmm. as well you know we've seen her in it before she looked great in it in the series and now you know she's the captain um, mm-hmm. I, I just thought that that was really really cool that we finally have really completed what Deep Space Nine kind of set out as which was Bajor was going to be coming into the Federation and that story is now complete you know Bajor is fully a member of of the Federation of Planets at this point. And that was a nice resolution because that is something that we don't get to see at all in the series. And that's where the books really add to, I think, um, the validity of the storyline, you know, because mm-hmm. they actually complete something that they couldn't do in the series. They they didn't end up having the time to do that with the storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of people felt that Bajor joining the Federation would be the end of the story. And that would be, you know, they set it up in the series premiere that that's the mission of the Starfleet crew on Deep Space Nine is to shepherd Bajor into the Federation, basically. And, you know, we really find out here that that's not the end of the story. That's just the end of this chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. And Bajor yep. will see a lot of new challenges in its position as a Federation member. Yeah, it it's definitely going to have its own issues. Um, and I think that that, uh, you know, creates a great storyline. And especially, too, I mean, you think about this, the, the greatness of where you see Bajor kind of come to. And then they have a huge, huge part, obviously, in the fall as well with everything that happens there. And so... Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see all of this play out. And um, yeah, I would say that it's also a sad thing for me that we get to this point because Deep Space Nine never quite lives up to this quality with its books just because the storyline starts to get a little bit fractured. You get the world of Deep Space Nine books next and 
it doesn't feel as cohesive. Uh, and then they're trying to ramp up for the Ascendant storyline, and then we don't get an actual finale to that. And then, of course, we just lose Deep Space Nine for a while, and then we jump time with Destiny and all that. And, you know, so it's never quite the same again. Um, yeah. And that's that's always, I, I, we got to this point, and then I was like, oh, yeah, it's it doesn't quite have the same impact mm-hmm. as it did before that is a little bit sad so yeah it kind of it's almost you could rate star trek novels on a hardcover scale and this mm-hmm. this novel is worthy of being a hardcover mm-hmm. and we don't you know not to mention the fact that we just don't get hardcovers anymore after this but you know I, I i don't want to really disparage the books that have come since but none of them are really worth the hardcover treatment after this it does feel like we've kind of you know, peaked a little bit. And at least for the next few stories, you know, there are some very good stories in Worlds of Deep Space Nine. I, some of them are some of my favorite stories, but it's just, like you said, the crew's separated. The story just feels different and not quite at the same level that mm-hmm. we get here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I do want to talk about you know one of the things that's really cool about this storyline is the fact that just like deep space nine the show that we really do something that deep space nine just excelled at which was we took a eh, idea from the next generation and we actually made it work Mm -hmm. and you know so finally seeing the the kind of resolution to the conspiracy episode from DNG was really interesting and in, in understanding who these parasites were at a much deeper level, I thought was really, really fascinating and really, really satisfying mm-hmm. as a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Uh, one of the things like the, the conspiracy parasites we don't see in the original episode, but we do in this is them kind of unleashed on the general population and what kind of measures would have to be taken to counter that. And I love what this book does. And if you really think about it, the opening days of Bajor being in the Federation are marked by almost a military occupation by the Cardassians again. So you've got to wonder what the average Bajoran citizen who isn't privy to the information that we have, you really have to wonder what they're thinking. And wow, this joining the Federation thing, maybe this was not a good idea after all. Um, I get the feeling like we may have taken a step backwards (laughs) at this point. Um, Hey, anybody remember that that 60-year occupation? No, just me? Okay. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I I thought that maybe we might want to rethink this strategy, but okay, it's fine. Yeah. What Anybody was... notice that the guy in charge looks and sounds exactly like Gul Dukat? Yeah, that's not creepy at all. No, I, I we're mean, fine that's... with that. Yeah, it's totally normal. Um, I, you know, I what I loved about that and the way that they do the storyline, and obviously it's contrivance of the story that Cardassians are kind of immune to what, what um, happens here with the the parasites that they don't want to you know the parasites try to take them over and then they can't um i I think that what it does though is that it really gives you the opportunity to see the growth of bajor because Mm -hmm. bajor actually handles this pretty well Mm -hmm. on the most part and i think that was a really great storyline to have because this is part of the Deep Space Nine saga is watching the Bajorans go from being a people that, you know, would completely hate the Cardassians to actually being okay with asking for their help, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just put that in real world terms with, you know, take World War II type people and, and put all that together in your brain and just think about that for a second. That's mm-hmm. basically what we're talking about. I think it's a pretty powerful story to see play out in the book, and and um, and I loved the fact that we explained these parasites. It kind of makes sense that they're related somehow, some way. Whether it's genetic engineering, that's where we've gotten to in the book. But they're related to the trill, and that makes for a really exciting story as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a stroke of brilliance. I love the linking of those two species together because, you know, if you think about it, the parasites really are just a complete perversion of what the trill are. So, you know, I would imagine that a lot of people would be very wary of the trill thinking that, you know, these worms are a parasitic thing that are taking over people, but it's really not. It's a joining of the two. But these parasites really are that fear made manifest and they're scary as hell. Like (laughs) the idea of this parasite coming in and completely subsuming your personality, but wearing your face and your, and using your voice is absolutely terrifying. I really like the, the, the creepy, scary horror aspect to them. That that's the one thing that works from the TNG episode is that this really is a a scary, creepy villain. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what they do here with the novels is, is actually expound on that and bring what worked and take away all that didn't in that episode and really make something that's exciting, freaky. And at the same time, it's going to bring us to trill about a species that, you know, we know, very little about and um and so i'm i'm excited to see that as well i'm i'm just glad that we're getting the opportunity to learn about things that we kind of wanted to know more about with deep space nine and you know we we know a little bit about trill we've been there once um but this is a great storyline for us to be able to kind of explore more deeply. And there's a whole great storyline in there, too, about uh, how, in in the end, secrets kind of destroy things. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes for a really great storyline as well that we're going to get as we move forward with the Worlds of Deep Space Nine books. And we actually visit Trill and see how this kind of breaks a lot of things down in that society. Definitely, yeah. No, the... I, I loved the whole uh, linking of the secretiveness of Trill to this whole storyline because, you know, we've we've known they're a pretty secretive race. A lot of, you know, most of the Federation didn't even know they were a joint species until very recently. So kind of explaining that secretiveness through this storyline, I thought, was really excellent. Really great idea. Well, um, you know... One of the things that uh, this book does, obviously, is is really bring the the emissary back. You know, we the path of the emissary and the prophets are brought forefront here in a lot of ways. Um, and the prophet storyline has been going along for quite a while in the story. It starts off with the discovery of this text that. Um, really shakes up the Bajoran religion. And uh, and then, of course, you know, with the emissary gone, I mean, Bajor had kind of lost its its, um, spokesperson and something something they looked towards. And so um, I wanted to just talk about those two things specifically because, and this is going to be, especially with the um, Cisco part, it's going to be kind of where the storyline goes because, so Dan, if you're gonna bring Cisco back, it's got to be big, right? You would assume so, yeah. I mean, this is a character who was brought into the wormhole or the celestial temple, supposedly to be prepared for some big task. Now, you know his his previous task was to defeat Dukat in the fire caves and and banish the Pa Wraith. Uh, but we really get the feeling at the end of Deep Space Nine that he's going to the wormhole to be prepared for something else that he has to do. And will we find out what that is? Uh, we haven't yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Okay, it's a big deal because when Ben leaves, he's told Cassidy that I'm... I'm leaving. I'm going to come back, but the prophets have much more for me to do. Sarah tells him that, you know, mm-hmm. the the prophet that was uh, his mother. And then just the very last page of the book, it's it's setting up this whole idea and it it says Ben says this to himself. And 
where I'll soon be needed. The prophets had revealed as much before letting him go. What was happening and what was going to happen to Bajor and its people, this was of great importance to them. His role wouldn't be easy. He'd need the help of old friends and new friends, Kira, of course, and Dax and Eli, who'd been set on a course by the prophets that led him to Deep Space Nine and sent him to meet Benny in the temple, because he'd need help himself, but also to remind Ben of his own humanity, to show him how to follow his life back to his own people. And so it really, the very end of, I mean, the last page of this book seems to be setting up this kind of epic storyline that Ben has come back to do something really important. Mm-hmm. And then Ben doesn't do anything. Yeah. Now, based on, you know, this and then what I recently reread in the worlds of deep space nine it seems they're they're really foreshadowing the whole ascendant storyline which of course we never got and the other thing is i don't i haven't reread them in a long time yet and i don't really remember a lot about uh warpath fearful symmetry or the soul key um I don't know that he does anything really big in those that I remember. The only thing that I was able to really find that, and I was I was just perusing memory beta because I was trying to remember because it's been so long, but I just couldn't remember anything really happening mm-hmm. for him when he comes back. And what happens for him, spoiler alert, if you haven't read these books, anyone, they're years old. So, um, but... Uh, he comes back, and then following that return, he spends a lot of time with his his uh, wife and his new daughter, preparing for the return to Bojoran space of the mysterious ascendants. Um, he also uh, is with Kira after she's attacked by Tyranitar, and he's with her as she's ex- you know basically experiencing this whole. And one of the strangest things ever in any Star Trek book that I've ever read, which is in Warpath, I remember that that book just being a complete mind frack for me, <laughs> uh, trying to figure out exactly what was going on because it's the Ascendance and the Evoc and this whole strange storyline. And uh, yeah, that was weird. And then he works roughly for a little while at the, the Bahala, you know, temple. And then... And then the next time we see him, he's just pissed because the, he feels like the pre- prophets have abandoned him. So there's this whole missing storyline, and the character of Cisco just I feel like really got the short shrift, you mm-hmm. know, when it came to him. this. This guy came back, and then we we get the feeling that something's going to happen, and nothing happens. Yeah. Now I'm I'm really because. You know, they, they hint about this whole Ascendant storyline. And of course, it seems we're getting that from uh, David R. George, uh, both later this year and next year with uh, his two novels, next Deep Space Nine novels coming out. I'm really hoping that, you know, that's in there because, you know, after that whole missing period, and again, spoiler alert, you know, for people who haven't read those novels, they're they're a little more recent, the ones that come after there's a lot of changes. I mean, um, Kira, for example, is no longer in Starfleet. She's uh, a Vedic in the Bajoran religion. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, something big happened there. Ro is now captain of Deep Space Nine. I, re- I just, I really want that story. And I, I'm really hoping that it gives Cisco's return here more meaning than it has at the moment because yeah like you said nothing really came of it you know so i'm I'm really hoping something vindicates that <laughs> yeah exactly and because it's an it's an honestly uh, an unsatisfying return mm-hmm. um and you know i feel like in some ways um hopefully they knew what they were going to do but at least the way it came off with what we have now we have no idea what david r george is going to do but it's like the writers didn't know what to do with him so they didn't do anything with him Mm -hmm. you know um and i i can understand because the idea of 
Cisco, who's come back from the prophets, who's been in a place where there's he can he literally in this book was in more places than one mm-hmm. at the same time. So he existed as the prophets do, where yeah. he was really outside space and time. He could be wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted, in in a very ethereal, strange, godlike way. And what do you do with that when he came, comes back? Because that's a tough thing to to write towards. That's a really tall order, I think. Um, and he he comes back pretty cool in this book. You know, he brings a bunch of Jem Hadar that he had had the prophet sent back with him. Um, you <laughs> know, back great. in the you know sixth season of Deep Space Nine. So that was fantastic as well. Um, so he comes back with a vengeance. I mean, he he kind of. It almost kind of reminded me of the way, you know, they talk about Jesus will come back that, you know, it's it's going to be it's not going to be the meek and mild um, Jesus. It's going to be the one with a sword, you know, and Ben kind of comes back with that with a bunch of Jem Hadar kicking some serious ass, you know. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we just don't get anything else. And I'm glad David is writing the storylines, David R. George III, because he wrote the other storylines, so I think he'll be the one that'll best be suited to kind of make it all fit together. Mm-hmm. Because right now, we're definitely missing some serious puzzle pieces. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's just been disappointing because I think Cisco was... One of the things that made him stand apart was that emissariness that he had. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that whole side of him. And now that that's been taken away, to me, he's just another captain. You know, like you've kind of taken away what Iris Stephen Bear and, and all the rest of the writers had instilled in this captain that had that had made him different. Yeah. And now he's just, you know, another captain. Mm-hmm. I, I Yeah. And it's really too bad because I feel like that emissariness could really be used. And, and I think a really good writer could you know, really take that and just do amazing things with it. I, I love the moment when Cisco does come back into the, you know, quote unquote real world. Um, and he faces down the, the spawn mother, <laughs> they call her of, yes, of these yep. parasites. And I just, the, the line he has is so Cisco like, <laughs> and he, you know, he tells her that it's over your campaign, your hatred, your time, it ends here now. She's like, you know, what? What is this? It's it's not a spawn mother, you know. Why could why could she hear its mind? Why could she hear its thoughts? And it gets closer and closer. And she's, you know, she's thinking like a meat being in appearance. It walked toward her from the nothingness. Its features becoming clearer as it neared, darkened human meat, but the eyes. It drew closer, looming ever larger as it approached. It was vast, she saw now, vast as space. Its brown face filled her perception, filled the void itself. And then it spoke. You picked the wrong planet, it said. And she felt her first glimmer of doubt. It was also her last. Yeah, it's How cool a character is that? (laughs) It is epic. So good. Oh, God. And I, I think that's the hard thing is that, you know, Cisco, really at that point, he's a superhero. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a Starfleet captain. I think maybe that's what they didn't understand what to do with him. Yeah. And I, I feel like you could do it subtly enough that he's not like a Q or something like that. But just, yeah. you know, you get this, you know, you imagine every once in a while that like, did he just do that? Mm, yeah, I think he yeah. just did that, you know, and that would be so cool. Like, what a great character that would be. But. Yeah, and it's and it's gone now because you know he's no longer the emissary of the prophets at all. You know, he still has a connection with Bajor, and he always will. But that has been stripped away, and I'm really disappointed. I honestly, that is probably one of the biggest disappointments with the Deep Space Nine relaunch and where the writers took the storyline, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe. Maybe there's just something about those Deep Space Nine writers where they understood how to make the lines between uh, mysticism and Star Trek work together, mm-hmm. and they the writers maybe just couldn't figure out how to do that. I don't know, yeah. um, but I know these writers, and they're good, so mm-hmm. I feel like 
you just needed to really think of a good reason for bringing him back. And it's like maybe they had one and then we just have never seen it. Um, So hopefully we'll actually see it now. Yeah, no, hopefully. I'm I'm kind of given to understand that, you know, the big push behind this storyline of the Deep Space Nine relaunch was Marco Palmieri, the editor at the time. And unfortunately, right, you know, as this story is kind of getting off the ground was when, you know, there was kind of a shuffling of people at Pocketbooks and he was no longer there. And I was, you know, I always wonder if he had this kind of story plotted out vaguely and or not you know did he take that with him you know does somebody have his notes that (laughs) say what he had in mind or maybe he didn't but was still going to you know conceptualize it if he was still there i don't know i i'm i would imagine he had at least a direction that he wanted to go and then when he's gone it's just no longer that you know he's no longer the driving force and Unfortunately, this kind of got lost along the way there. I think I think you're right. I think that that is really the thing where this this did get lost. Um, and then, of course, you know, they had uh, they were connecting, you know, Deep Space Nine and with uh, where the 24th century universe was. And, you know, I, I, I always wonder if David R. George had a conversation at all with Marco Palmieri to kind of see what the idea was, you know, so that they could be working that in when they could. Um, who knows? I, I don't know. It, it's just, a, it's a sad thing to me because, you know, Cisco is my favorite captain, my favorite character in Deep Space Nine. Um, and I, I'm, I miss that specialness about him. And then of course, you know, what I've been saying for a very long time Cisco needs to be an admiral, and they keep offering him admiralships, and he keeps turning them down. Mm-hmm. I really do, I, you know. I think that's what needs to happen with him. I know we have Riker as an admiral, but I think, um, you know, Riker is obviously going to be on the Titan. Things are going to be different with the way that works, uh, with where that storyline is going to go. I would really like to see uh, just Cisco be the admiral in that area of of the federation be his you know dominion say. <laughs> well maybe use another word though <laughs> yeah his his sector of yeah. the galaxy we'll just put it like that so <laughs> yeah no i mean we you know archer's an admiral riker's an admiral come on let's make cisco an admiral he was he's deserving of it well and and it makes sense since they have offered him admiralship they offered him one when he comes back in this book he says no he's offered a rear admiralship in the typhon pack books um and somewhere in that storyline he he doesn't say yes to that so i mean this is already something that's been happening it i don't understand we could definitely have this happen for and i think it would just make sense at this point mm. because he doesn't belong on the Robinson. We don't need another character on uh, a starship doing exploration and stuff like that. That's we have too many other ships to do that. Um, you know, you can have Dax do that on the the Aventine. You've got the Enterprise. You've got uh, Titan. You you don't need that same storyline. And I think him and Roe working together on the station in conjunction with each other. I mean, she's the captain and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that would just be a really cool storyline as well. So, yeah. yeah, there's so much cool that could happen. I mean, what do I know? <laughs> no, that would be really great. I I, I think, yeah, like, like I said, no other character is more deserving of it than him. And I mean, you know, Kirk said, don't let them promote you to Picard, not Cisco. He, he hasn't exactly. been tainted by that advice yet. Promote him. <laughs> let them promote you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that this storyline, starting with Avatar, does is the Ahulu texts. And for me, this was another disappointment because what I loved about the storyline in Deep Space Nine was that there was always the juxtaposition between the faith of Bajorans and the science of Starfleet. And there were episodes that sometimes kind of came down on one side or the other, um, but it, it always left you feeling like it was more up in the air. And nobody can really ever explain exactly what the prophets are 
And so that's where the faith came in. And um, I I didn't really enjoy that there was this new text that came out that kind of demystified the the prophets because I liked that balance of you know the back and forth between the two and I think I thought it was a little bit just more it left it up to the reader and and this I feel like strips that away and um I was just disappointed with that because um Deep Space Nine was the only series that I felt like dealt really well at all with religion and I felt like the writers here kind of took that away from the storyline. And they didn't need to because they're going to have the Evoc who are going to have their view of the prophets. And they don't need, I think, the Bajorans to already be like, oh, they're not really gods anymore. You know, um, I, I just I felt like it was one too many things to strip mm-hmm. away the balance that Deep Space Nine had had between science and and religion and and all of those things, and they had struck a good chord, I thought. And uh, I felt like the books just kind of took that away a little bit by doing this. And to me, that made me sad. I can understand that, yeah. Um, I I kind of felt a little bit differently about the Ohalu texts. It, I mean, because Deep Space Nine kind of always had that, you know, back and forth, are they prophets or are they wormhole aliens and i think the answer to that is yes and i i you know i think you know there's the saying like anything sufficiently advanced um is indistinguishable from magic and i think you know the prophets are really advanced and and far above the bajorans so for them to see them as gods or prophets I, you know, I don't see a problem with that because I think that, you know, to them they are. And I, and I don't see that really changing, even though some of it's explained and that sort of thing. But, you know, I find the explanation kind of works a little bit both ways because they are so far above the Bajorans they might as well be prophets or they might as well be gods. At this point, what what is your definition of a prophet or a god, if not someone or a being who is so advanced or so far above that, you know, they can do these things and see the things that they see and exist outside of linear time? And I don't know, I, I, I feel like the story of the Bajorans who remain in the faith and, you know, like we mentioned earlier, Kira later becomes a Vedic, you know. So for her, this hasn't, you know, she was the one that revealed the texts to the entire planet and it didn't shake her faith. It just added another layer to it. And I think, I don't know, I think that story is kind of interesting. I'm interested to see where that goes. And I like that a lot. I think what I was frustrated with is that it just made it a little bit more definite, Mm. you know, instead of leaving the mystery. And I just enjoyed the mystery part of it because I think that's one of the things that makes faith faith is that there's a lot that goes along with how I think about it and and logical explanations and all these things. But there is a sense of, okay, I can't explain everything, so I have to have the faith to to move past that. You know, there is is a, a, a point to where... I have to move forward on faith. And um, that was just something I feel like you kind of lose here if you just tell us the secret, you know, like you see the man behind the curtain <laughs> um, kind of thing. And uh, they just, to me, they just played their hands and it, it did take away because now the the question really isn't are they prophets or whatever. It's, well... They're just aliens. You know, they took away the question, really, by giving us these texts and having them be so accurate. And these texts also say they're not, they're just aliens. So they take away the mystery. And I, I kind of miss the mystery part um, because I felt like that was another thing that Deep Space Nine did is that, um, you know, all other Star Trek just tells us things about the universe, you know, and, and how it is. Um, and in Deep Space Nine, 
it wasn't afraid to not give us all the answers and make us figure those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think I liked. So it's what makes Speed Space Nine, I think, more. Uh, it's just a more mythic story in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But I mean, either way, uh, it, it was an interesting part of the storyline. Um, it just doesn't work as well for me f- as it does for others. Mm-hmm. And I suppose also with my uh, my whole definition and, and wondering what makes a, a god or a prophet, you'd have to count Q as a god. And I don't think any of us are ready for that. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a scary thought right there. <laughs> the universe is not so badly designed. Yes. Um, well, one of the things that was really interesting is that the I think one of the biggest themes of Deep Space Nine is time and that time is linear and that we move forward. And what we leave behind, we find out here, as Cisco tells Ellis from his orb experience, is the past. What we leave behind, and, and if we don't leave it behind, we just kind of live in it as Cisco was the very first episode of the show. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of coming back and revisiting that idea with Ellis now. And I think it's really interesting because Ellis's experiences are, are very much like Cisco's. It's very traumatic. It has to do with his wife and his child. Um, and he finds himself punishing himself by living in the moment of most pain. And I just love that the last episode of Deep Space Nine and its title, What We Leave Behind, is the truth that Cisco speaks to Ellis to get him to be able to move forward. It's if you fail to leave behind the past, you're really just failing to live. And I think that's a really, really awesome place to be and and kind of wrap this book up with because it, it connects this series with what was so important in the first run of the show Mm -hmm. yeah and i I absolutely love the symmetry of cisco being the one to teach that lesson (laughs) in this book after you know having to struggle to learn it from the prophets in in emissary so many years ago yeah i just that that image as soon as well while i was reading it and as soon as it occurred to me what they were doing i just had a huge grin on my face and I just, I love that symmetry. It's beautiful. Well, and it flows right into this whole other idea, too, that Cisco talks about with Ellis is that love is a verb. You know, um, we don't destroy uh, relationships. We don't bury them. We don't do any of those things. That love and relationships are always in motion, a lot <laughs> like the Force um, and the future, <laughs> as you would through. say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that they do change over to time and that they take work. It takes active work because love is a verb. Mm-hmm. And uh, those relationships that we have with people are verbs because we must act on them every single day to be um, connected. You know, if you don't talk to your significant other, you're not going to be connected. You know, if you're not interacting, if you're not doing things with them, creating shared experiences, any of that, if you're not sharing those verbs with them those Mm. doing actions you don't have a relationship and uh, I think those two things of leaving behind the past so that you can grow the future and you know obviously not we're not going to not learn our lessons from the past that's not what we're saying Mm -hmm. it's that you can't wallow in in the past or you're going to fail to live Right. Yeah, you can't get stuck there. You can't get mired in regret and feeling. I mean, you know, of course, like you said, learn from things. And, you know, regret can be a a positive emotion if it causes you to learn from the mistakes you've made and make different choices in the future. But if all you're doing is sitting there and and regretting and, and, you know, wallowing in in sad emotions and memories you're not going to move forward and yeah i think that's a very very important lesson and you know love and the relationships we have with people and the connections we have are just the best way of moving forward in life and creating change and growth and new experiences over your lifetime and yeah it it requires energy it requires work it requires activity you have to do it you know you can't just experience it you have to make it and do it yourself 
what it reminds me very much of what Picard says in Generations, you know, um, but I rather believe that time is a companion that goes with us on the journey and it reminds us to cherish every moment because it'll never come again. Mm-hmm. And what we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most beautiful and true statements that Star Trek has ever spoken. Definitely. Um, and I love that it really dovetails into the story of, of Deep Space Nine and what they're doing here in Unity. Yeah, no, I agree completely with you. I've, I've used that quote a lot and I absolutely love it. And maybe it doesn't have the same, you know, delivery that Malcolm McDowell's time is the fire in which we which burn. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a much better sentiment and one that I think is is really important. I think maybe time is the fire in which we burn must be the slogan of the Pa Wraiths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, uh, what would you rate this book now that we've kind of reached the end and talked a lot about it? I mean, and there's so much more that happens in this story where we haven't covered everything. So it's definitely um, something that everybody should go in and read because we haven't spoiled it all for you. Um, but uh, yeah, Dan, what would you end up uh, rating this one since the season finale of season eight? <laughs> Well, uh, like I've said, I, I really enjoyed this novel. It was definitely, and I, I think I've invented a, I think we've invented a new rating here, hardcover worthy. I think, Ooh, I think this yeah. story was very hardcover worthy. Uh, I really enjoyed this novel. The character moments, uh, especially for, I'm going to say Kira, Roe, and Elias Vaughn, I think just have some of the greatest character arcs and moments in this. And it's got a return to the whole um, uh, prophet vision of, you know, Cisco as Benny Russell, which I loved. I loved that episode Far Beyond the Stars. So this book has a lot of things that I really, really enjoy. Um, It's always been one of my favorites of the Deep Space Nine relaunch. And I think if I have to give it a rating, it's going to be one emissary overpowering the Spawn Mother. That's a good rating right there. (laughs) I think one of the things for me about this book is that it reminds me that the storyline doesn't go where it needs to go next. Um, That we never get the resolution to where they've been building towards for the next season. But that, I I need to stop discounting that against the book because it's not its fault. The Return of Cisco is is badass i mean you know there's so much great storyline so many great storylines in here that kind of culminate and then push forward for for the next season so yeah this book is hardcover worthy i think that should be the rating it it is worthy of being in hardcover and wrapping up the deep space nine story nice that's a i i love that that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> Well, Matthew, this has been a really great discussion of, like I said, one of my favorite novels in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. You know, The Return of Sisko, Kira on the cover in her Starfleet uniform. I mean, what's not to love? Kira in her Starfleet uniform, that should have been my rating. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kira and Ro in a oh, Starfleet there uniform. There yeah. you go. That should have been the rating. Um, But yeah, you're right. And... Luckily, it's not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Set this movie at the end of the five-year mission. Skip ahead five years, you know, kind of like Dark Knight or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. say, okay, We've had all these adventures, blah, 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 blah. And now we're at the end. We're about to go home, you know, and it's been a, you know, a fun time was had by all. Earl Grey. Again, you know, because it's January, my ship was shot beyond the bounds of normal interstellar <laughs> travel <laughs> to the center of the galaxy. But we were back in time for tea. The orb. They're, they're not even right. thinking about it at this point. Okay, how yeah, do we well, exactly. start the resistance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do all this? Yeah. Because they yeah. have become comfortable with where they are and thinking yeah. that they're doing all they can. And yet right. we know, as the audience, 
that they're not. To the journey! I want you to say right now in front of our our friends, okay, and in front of me and the Lord Almighty, <laughs> what is your favorite season? Okay, this isn't the favorite season. I want you to tell me what your favorite <laughs> season is. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel and Darren, promise we won't ever be like this. The Ready Room. So what's the deal? You know, does Tom have a dad we don't know about? Apparently. Because who <laughs> was this was guy that he was remembering yeah, as his know, dad? Was that Nick Lacarno's dad? <laughs> that was Nick Lacarno's dad, yes. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. But I mean, oh, here's yeah. the question, John. If, if you're living Fight Club, then, you know, we have to ask, if you could fight anyone, who would you fight? William Shatner. All right. Literary Treks. The main storyline here is the battle for the Vulcan soul. They're one of the most logical races, and yet they have an intensely spiritual aspect to them. Axanar, the official podcast. You were there. Mm. How long did we wait for them to try and reach that phone? Oh order? man, it was it was it was at least as long as the Enterprise penetrating V'ger's <laughs> outer shield to getting into the actual machine core. The six oh two club. So, as far as the realism question is concerned, um, when whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can check out these shows, find out what we have been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe, and of course, beyond. You guys know you will find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, If you love what we do here, and you would love to see this network grow, and you want more people to enjoy the shows just as you do every week, man, I would love, ladies, gentlemen, anyone else listening, would love to have you share. You know, I, I want to make sure that we don't, uh, you know, have those aliens that are probably listening to us, Dan. I don't want them to feel left out. So uh, oh, we know they're you. listening to Trek FM. But if you would like to help us out, you can do some things um, that just help us rise in the rankings in certain places. Anywhere you get your podcasts, if you give us a rating and a star review, those things are great. Whether it's in iTunes or in Stitcher, any of those kind of places, that's awesome. In Apple's iTunes, you can also subscribe. That helps us out as well. You know we're everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that's really great, if you love the network and you want to help it continue, to allow us to be able to put these podcasts, I guess, on the airwaves. Yeah, that works. Um we're a listener-supported network. We we run on volunteer basis. We all do this because we just have a passion for bringing you great Star Trek content and, and content beyond that. So you can help us out. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can find all the current goals we have. We have, dis- we have different milestone contribution levels, some great perks too. One of my great friends now came from Patreon, Norman Lau, without... Patreon and his support of the network, we may have never met and become such great friends. We literally talk every day. Uh, it's it's fantastic. So these are just some of the great things that come from from helping us keep this going, finding more great people and bringing them into the family. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. You can contact us at trek.fm slash contact. We'd love to have a voicemail from you. Sidebar on the show page, you can leave a voicemail or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're at Twitter, at trek.fm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm, which is also a great way to share content that you like on trek.fm with everybody else uh, on your Facebook page, whether it's the shows that you like, it, you know, maybe it's Literary Treks, The Orb, 602, To the Journey, Earl Grey, Warp 5, any of those shows that are coming out, you can share that content on your Facebook page and people will know, hey, you need to check this out because I like it. Um, And of course, we've got the Babel Conference. It's our listeners-only discussion group, and it's really the best place to have a conversation these days online. Respectful, fun, talking about all sorts of things with Star Trek and everything we talk about in the 602 Club. Just type... B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm, click discussion on the menu bar. We also have our Goodreads group, which is a great place to go. You can see all the bookshelves that we have there of all the books that we've read previously covered. 
I've got it listed there too, what episode that book was featured in. We've got great conversations there. It shows you what's coming up in future shows because of what we're reading. This is a great place to be, so check us out on Goodreads. Dan, when you're not headed over to the local Ferengi embassy to get a cold root beer, where can we find you? Well, you know, that that Ferengi embassy is a lot of fun. You know, I tried my hand at the Dabo wheel and, well, lost a small fortune. But anyway... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's to be expected. That's yeah, to be expected. I think those tables are rigged. Anyway, you can find me, <laughs> you can find me online. Uh, I have a Treklet uh, book review website at treklet.com. I'm on Twitter at Treklet Reviews and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Treklet Reviews. I think you're sensing a pattern here. Um, and uh, of course, I'm on the Babel Conference commenting on things, posting interesting star trek news and all kinds of stuff from all over the trek world there and uh matthew when you're not sending a uniform to row to you know prompt her to stay in starfleet where she belongs uh where can we find you dang it how did anybody find out i didn't even send her a note this time (laughs) (sighs) well you can find me on twitter at matt rushing zero two i'm also on the orb with christopher jones where we talk about deep space nine exclusively so if you enjoy deep space nine talk that's the place to be. Uh, I do the 602 Club, which is just a great place. We get together every week with a brand new geeky topic, whether it's movies, comics, TV shows, things like that. It is so much fun, so I hope you, you'll join me there. And I do have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.